0: With eyes unclouded by hate. Does not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? Hello everyone, my name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorsett. And today we're continuing our read-through of Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. Today we're picking up on the chapter on eating and drinking. So let's go right to the text. Then an old man, a keeper of an inn, said... Speak to us of eating and drinking. And he said, Would that you could live on the fragrance of the earth, and like a, like an air plant be sustained by the light. But since you must kill to eat, and rob the newly born of its mother's milk to quench your thirst, let it then be an act of worship. And let your board stand on an altar on which the pure and the innocent of forest and plain are sacrificed for that which is purer, and still more innocent in man. Hmm. This is a hard topic to talk about because we don't like to think about where our food comes from. But all eating requires the death of something. You, you can't eat without killing something. And even those who like to say, well, nuts and seeds and things that fall from plants, you know, we can eat those. And those, no, you're eating the life of the thing that's to come. Life subsists on life. That is the way of things. Whether we like it or not, that is how the world really works. And it's something that we have to be at peace with in ourselves. And I say that way very clearly because people put their limits and rules in. And each thinks that they are more or less ethical than others. And some don't think about it at all. In his wonderful book, Minyan, Rabbi Rami Shapiro discusses what he calls echokashrut. In other words, being kosher in a different way. And looking at all of our consumption in that way. And so normally when we think of whether or not we're eating kosher or not, if that's something that you do, it's at least something that you're aware of because you know that that's no pork, that you you don't cook an animal in the milk of its mother, so on and so forth. there are quite a few kosher rules. But what Rabbi Shapiro recommends is that each of us look at all of our consumption in this light, the energy that we use, the fuels that you know go into our vehicles, things that we buy, and try to be as ethical as we can in all of our consumption, not just in our food. And now more than ever, I think that this is a very important way to think about all of this. And I'm not going to get on my soapbox and proclaim to you, this is the way we should eat, this is the way we should drink, this is the way that we should partake of anything. Because that's not my place. I think that that's for each individual person to consider what is best for them, especially because some have special dietary requirements. You know, I myself have tried to go vegetarian several times, for example, and even when on protein supplements, I found myself getting ill. And I I have problems that way. And it's something that I haven't been able to work out. But that's possibly because of my own system and the way my system works. And everyone has their own, you know, requirements. You know, some people cannot eat wheat, some people can't have egg, some people are allergic to this, that, and the other thing. You you can't expect people to eat nothing but nuts if they're allergic to nuts. And so, as with everything in life, I think it's important for us not to be judgmental towards others who are not following our idea of what is ethical consumption. While There's nothing wrong with sharing our understanding of ethics with other people. It is not our place to judge. That's not what we're here for. That is not our purpose. That is not our place. So be very mindful of that in all that you do. But I love this idea of letting every time that you eat be an act of worship, and having the table be an altar. Because this is a concept that is central to our faith. In fact, if you look back to the very first Christians when they met, they met for what were called agape meals, love meals. They would meet and have meals of compassion. And if you actually look at the way Paul and many of the earliest writers in the church discuss these they they were kind of early potlucks that the the service itself was a potluck everyone brought food and paul was very insistent that the food that is brought is shared amongst everyone that the wealthy cannot bring food just for the wealthy at the wealthy table that that food is for everyone which we share everything in common in that way And so the communal meal, which in most churches has been simplified down to just the Eucharist, is the heart of Christianity. It is the heart of our religion. It is the cornerstone of our spirituality that we come together. And it's used symbolically in so many ways you know, Christ refers to the afterlife as the place where we will eat and drink with him in paradise. And I don't think that that is an accident. Because it's in the sharing. It's in sharing that table together and sharing what we have in that basic act of hospitality that we come together in community. And this is so baked into our nature that in English, the word companion, you know, a friend, somebody that comes with you on a journey, the word actually means someone you have bread with. That's the literal word. It's with bread. Kumpan. Kumpanes. With bread. It's the person that you have bread with. It's the person that you eat with. That, that's the basic meaning there. The meal is the cornerstone of the community, and it is the cornerstone of our relationships with each other. And when we learn to see every meal as an act of worship and every table as an altar, it helps us to remember that our bodies are temples to God, and that we are living sacrifices, and that every action that we take is a prayer to the divine. We continue from the text. When you kill a, be- when you kill a beast, say unto him in your heart, By the same power that slays you, I too am slain, for I too shall be consumed. For the law that delivered you unto my hands shall deliver me unto, the, unto a mightier hand. Your blood and my blood is not but the sap that feeds the tree of heaven. Uh. This is one of the reasons why so many do not take the time to think about where their food comes from. Because in thinking of the death of the animals and of the fruits and of the various things that we subsist upon, we have to face the basic notion of our own mortality. And it's something that we don't want to think about. Because no matter how spiritual we are, no matter how many sacred texts we've read, no matter how many holy people we've sat at the feet of and listened to their instruction, all we have about the afterlife is hearsay, conjecture. We will only know when we pass through that gate. And that lack of knowing, which is one of the most basic unknowings that we have, breeds such fear within us. H.P. Lovecraft, the renowned horror writer, said the oldest and greatest fear of mankind is the fear of the unknown. And he's right about that. And what greater unknown is there than what happens to us after we take our last breath? We do not know. We think we know. But only then will we know for sure. And so we don't like thinking that the food that we're eating is the death of whatever it is. And again, I want to stress that that's true whether it is fruit, vegetable, or meat. And we can talk about whether there is a moral equivalence there. But that's not the point right now we are in this chapter meditating on the fact that life subsists on life and so we must remember that that broccoli that kale the lettuce in the salad the tomatoes those are all alive And we are consuming them. And if we don't even see the fruit, the vegetables, and the seeds that we eat as live and living, we miss the point. We miss the power that's in them. The milk that we eat is the source of life, and in it there are many, many bugs, and they are alive The bread that we eat is filled with yeast, and they are alive. It's important for us to realize this. And you may think that I'm harping on it a bit too much. But once we realize this basic understanding that life lives on life, and we think back to the chapter that we did on giving and receiving... We are only the witness. Life is the giver. So even in the meals that we eat, even in the food that is on our table, life is the giver. We are only the witness. We eat the food, and the millions or billions of microbes in our stomachs aid us in digestion. They eat as we eat, and they help us to eat. Everything in community, everything together, everything giving, everything taking. Nothing greater or lower than the other. And once we learn to see the world in this way, we have a better understanding of life and our place in it. And all of the ideas of hierarchy and dominance fall away. And a true humility and sense of justice is born within us. And in that moment, we are truly born again in the image of God. We will continue this after the break. And we're back. I understand how this could be an uncomfortable topic for a lot of you. It's an uncomfortable topic for, I think, everyone. Because there are certain things that we don't like to think about. And especially, you know, we have to eat, and we often eat many times a day. And to see the sacrifice that is literally on our plate, no matter what it is. Mm. that changes your perspective on everything. Let's return to the text. And when you crush an apple with your teeth, say to it in your heart, your seeds shall live in my body and the buds of your tomorrow shall blossom in my heart and your fragrance shall be my breath and together we shall rejoice Through all the seasons. Yeah. We've talked about the animal, and now he's specifically talking about the plant. Think about it. Every apple that you eat has seeds in it. Seeds, plural. And each of those seeds could grow up to be a tree. But more than likely, they never will And so in the gratitude of our hearts, when we eat that apple, we say to it, I am your tree. You will grow in me and I will bring your light and your joy and your goodness into the world. Look at a strawberry and think of all the seeds that are on that strawberry and how many of those might have one day had the possibility of being another plant. Producing how many strawberries? See, we don't think about these things. And again, because it's hard. But this is where that basic gratitude that we've been talking about really should inform us and come into us and help us to see our purpose in this world. Yes, that apple that we crushed in our te- with our teeth it sacrificed itself so that we could have life. But we are its life now. We have an obligation to the plants and the animals that we consume to live a life of justice, compassion, and peace on their behalf because we are the continuance of them. Without them to sustain us, we would not have life. And in gratitude for that life that they give us, we go out into the world and we bring compassion and hope and care with us. And this is one of those places where I could say that we make ourselves worthy of their sacrifice. But like with all sacrifices, I don't know that there's anything any of us could ever do to truly be worthy. As we talk about a lot on this show, the very concepts of worth and merit are problematic in and of themselves because they make us question through arbitrary criteria whether or not a thing is good. And when I say arbitrary criteria, exactly how good do you have to be to... Be worthy of the sacrifice of a pea. Just a pea. Not the whole pod, just, just one of them. Do, do you have to be more worthy to validate the sacrifice of the entire pod? Well, what of an apple? What of a strawberry? What of an ear of corn? Those are all fruits of a plant. When you're eating kale, you're eating the plant itself. When you're eating lettuce, you're eating the plant itself. The same with broccoli and many vegetables, you're eating the plant itself. Do you have to be more worthy? And we haven't even gotten to animals yet. Do you have to be less worthy for milk and more for meat? What about cheese because of the labor of the bacteria and the yeast that make the cheese? And what about bread, because of the labor of the wheat, and the sugar, and the yeast, and the baker? You see, all of these things, if we're going to assign merit, must be accounted for. And you can see the ludicrousness and the insanity of that project. Because we haven't even talked about the farmer yet, or the delivery person and the various warehouse people, and the people that worked at the shops. There are a lot of people in the process, too, that we have to think about. And so ascribing merit to any of this is insane and impossible. So like we discussed previously on the chapter on giving, don't say, I will give only to those who deserve it who deserves the flesh of an apple or the flesh of a cow? Who deserves the seed of a tree? A tree that could have lived for a hundred years or more. Who deserves that? We could be glib and say, well, no one really deserves that. But the real answer is, There is no way to calculate the merit. Because we would first have to define the arbitrary rules. So be thankful for the apple. Be thankful for the fruit. Be thankful for the vegetable. Be thankful to the animal. Continuing from the text. And in the autumn, when you gather the grapes with your... grape, I'm sorry. Let me start that again. And in the autumn... When you gather the grapes of your vineyards for the winepress, say in your heart, I too am a vineyard, and my fruit shall be gathered for the winepress. And like a new wine, I shall be kept in, in eternal vessels. And in winter, when you draw the wine, let there be in your heart a song for each and let there be a song, sorry, and let there be in the song a remembrance for the autumn days, and for the vineyard, and for the wine press. Mm. One day we too shall be pressed, and we shall be held and kept in eternal vessels. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branch. We are intertwined with all of this and we have to see our place in all of it. And as the prophet says here, we need to learn to have a song in our heart, a song of joy for the press, for the vineyard, for the vine, for the grape. See, there's several things being spoken of here, and one of which we talked about on an episode not that long ago, the lost art of savor, learning to savor a thing and letting that joy fill you from the consumption of it. But even more than that, it's that moment of remembrance. See, the most... Important thing for us to remember every day is our interconnectedness with everything else. That I am not a separate self. You are not a separate self. We are all interconnected and interwoven. I'm not even a continuous person. Every day, thousands, if not more, of my cells die and slough off my body. So when am I a new person? What does it mean to be a new person? What does it mean to be me? Well, I am not me without you, and you are not you without me. And all of us together in the great web of life make everything possible. And in these moments of eating, in this sacred time of eating, we, we, where we remember where the food comes from, and all the hands that touched it on its way to us. And we do so with gratitude. It helps us to remember that basic interconnectedness that makes us who we are and what we are. The idea that any of us is a separate person, an individual, an island unto themselves, is wrong. And there are so many ways to prove it. And the very process of getting food on the table shows us that lie of individuality. It shows our interdependence on each other and our interconnectedness with each other. It reminds us, as Tiknat Han would say, of our interbeing. Because once I eat the apple, is it I who live or the apple or both? But in eating that apple or drinking that wine The life of the vineyard, the life of the orchard, now lives in me, and I in it. And though that wine may have come from thousands of miles away, we are now interconnected in a way that is so deep and so profound you could not separate one from the other. Because there is not one or the other There's only both. And this is the great lesson that we are to learn in all of our mystic adventures, that there is only the interconnection. There's only the ties that hold us together. No man is an island. No one is a separate entity unto themselves. And so when you sit at the altar of your table and you partake of the sacrifice that is the meal, remember your profound interconnection with all life, the life that you are consuming and the hands that gave all along the way in the chain so that that food could be on your plate. And in remembering these things, you will see yourself as you are as part of the great web of life. Interconnected, bound to all things. And there you will find your home. There you will find God. There you will find the strength to be humble, to do justice, and to walk humbly. There you will find the grace to be graceful to others. I hope you've enjoyed this show. I really love this book, and I'm hoping you're enjoying our discussion of it. If you have, and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the entire podcast, please do that. That really helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm that it should share me to more people. If you have a dollar or so you could throw my way, Depending on the app, there will either be a button that says support or a link in the show notes that says support on Anchor. If you click that, you can support me at the $1, $5, $10 levels. That money goes to me and helps me to keep shows like this coming and helps me to carve out time in my schedule to do some resources for you all over on the website. If you don't have the money or you don't feel like giving right now, that's fine. Don't don't worry about it. I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this because if you can't tell, it's something that I really love to talk about. But I do ask that you pray for me and for my family because your prayers really do matter and they really do help. And if you know anybody that you think would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. That helps me to get the message out to more people. If you have any questions or comments, just head over to Anchor.fm, download the Anchor app to your phone, follow me, I'm Wisdom's Cry on there, and then you'll see a little button that says voice message. You can send me up to a one-minute message, it can be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like me to discuss on the show. Keep it clean, and I may use it on an upcoming episode. I've actually done episodes based on those call-ins for one of my other podcasts, and I really enjoy doing that. So if you would like to do that, please do if you want to follow me on social media, I'm wisdom Cries out on Twitter. You can find a link to that and all my social media accounts over at um, WisdomsCry.com. And until next time, may God bless you and keep you ever growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen.